Welcome back to a new episode of The Lars Resort, still brought to you by Bets On. Still a podcast with myself, Lars Sievertson. Yeah, we're back. The, the resort is up and running. The, there's water in the pool, adult beverages behind the bar. The, the jet skis are, are fully fueled. Actually, do we have jet skis? I feel like jet skis are, are kind of bad. I think... For, for the environment, maybe, just basic health and safety. Maybe we can do without jet skis. We'll have to have a think about it. Thank you uh, for the messages, the, the positive messages about last episode. I do appreciate that. Listen, nice messages are always nice, but especially when you've not done a pod in a while, you know? This is a this is a new concept, but I did do my Norwegian pod regularly for, for a fair few years there, and whenever there's a big gap between episodes, you do start asking yourself... Like, is this really any good? Like, it's just me talking. Is that even a good concept? Maybe it's all rubbish. So so I always have to, like, uh, psych myself up a bit to do the first one when there's been a gap. So, of course, when you say nice things about it, I do appreciate that. Thank you very much. Uh, I did get a bit ranty last episode, I thought. Very ranty, very long. Uh, But, of course, I did have to get some stuff up my chest regarding the whole Tottenham Conte, Tottenham fandom thing, all of it. Anyway, the the Conte era came to an end, as expected, shortly thereafter. Not much more to add, really, than what I said in that pod. You know, and I won't go over any of it, but, you know, you heard it. That That's that's all there is to it, really, as far as I'm concerned. Um, one comment I got, which I thought was a very good point, was from Mochten, one of our sort of regular OG Norwegian listeners, uh, who felt I was a little bit too down on Tottenham's future income potential, and that actually now, with the stadium up and running, crowds back in after the pandemic, their their revenue is actually getting pretty close to Chelsea and, and, and Tottenham generally trending upwards financially. And that is a very fair point, Morton. And uh, actually... I think the sort of the London football dynamic, I guess it's going to become quite interesting in the years going forward. The new stadium does matter quite a lot to Tottenham. I should have maybe spoken more about that. In Tottenham's last season at White Hart Lane, their match day revenue was something like 45 million. And last season it was 106, again, numbers from the eminent uh, Swiss ramble. Now, that's a crazy increase. That's like an extra 50 million a year. I mean, that that is going to make a difference. And, And I suspect going forward... Like, the sort of baseline annual revenue, excluding the Champions League, just what they make outside of the Champions League and outside of, you know, spikes in player trading and stuff, of Chelsea, Arsenal, and Spurs, is actually going to be pretty close. Uh, and, and, and the financial pecking order in London will be determined to a large extent by who's actually in the Champions League. Now, I think, as we spoke about in the Chelsea episode, the new owners seem very confident that they can grow the club's revenue streams. Maybe they can. I don't quite see it. Uh, they, they probably don't want to lose lots of money every year like Abramovich did, at least not in the long term. So, yeah, in terms of the future for Tottenham, the stadium does do an awful lot to help. While, yeah, Saudi Newcastle on the rise, Man United looking sensible again, or less stupid anyway. And we will possibly have a period of uncertainty at Chelsea, I think it's fair to say, uh, with the new owners kind of getting to grips with stuff. Maybe also at Liverpool, you know, whether or not Klopp uh, stays. It feels like we're at the end of a cycle there. Some of their clever nerds have left the building. Maybe Klopp stays and tries to rebuild the team. God knows there is a lot of quality in the squad, but, the, you know, there is some uncertainty there. I would stand by my prognosis that Spurs will still 
you know, continue to be the least wealthy of the top six clubs, but the gap is a lot smaller than it was 10 years ago. Uh, and, and that with Newcastle possibly on the march, they could find themselves being the seventh uh, ranked team in terms of spending power, and they need a strategy that accounts for this. But but there is also a version of this where, let's say Chelsea have a couple of iffy years now, the new owners take some time to find their bearings in this sport, uh, maybe Liverpool have a bit of a post-club slump, let's say Tottenham managed to sneak into the Champions League for a couple of seasons, then they would be in a much stronger position, for sure, and that's not totally impossible, uh, far from it, but you do feel that the next managerial uh, appointment at Spurs is pretty crucial! Pretty crucial uh, for Spurs. We'll probably get to that uh, later. Uh, right now, we don't even know who will be doing the appointing. I mean, normally that should be your sort of sporting director character. But of course, Fabio Paratici in a bit of bother at the moment. Maybe on his way out, you would imagine. Um, anyway, this isn't what I wanted to talk about. We had enough Spurs chat. Uh, I wanted this episode to be sort of less ranty. A little bit more chilled out. Um, so, so to do that... Let's address uh, one of the big talking points that I kind of missed out on uh, during my sort of weird uh, period of illness, which is uh, Aling Holland. Is he any good? You know, is is he good or is he is he making City worse? You know, is this record-breaking maniac good for Man City, or has he actually made them worse? That has been a topic of conversation. Um, uh, and as I was coming out of my sort of COVID funk the other week. Uh, I, I, you know, I was feeling better. I tested negative a few times. Decided to head up to Manchester, take a little trip because my spidey sense was tingling. I mean, I've never been much of a journalist, really. My sort of sometimes you have an instinct, and my spidey sense it was it was making noises. It was vibrating uh, about the RB Leipzig game. One way or the other, I kind of felt this would be a chapter in the Alling Hall on story because it seems silly to say it now because we know how that game went. But ahead of the game, that that seemed like it could have gone wrong. Because Leipzig, uh, theoretically, not as bad as they ended up being in that game. Uh, They're a team who have some of the things that we know City don't always like playing against. they got quite a few fast people. They play quite direct. They get the ball forward quickly. And we saw in the second half of that first leg that if City aren't quite on it, uh, RB Leipzig have the tools to, to hurt them. And, and, and City hadn't been playing that well recently. Uh, Holland had had a period of not scoring as many goals as he usually does. So on paper, that game felt like, huh, could be interesting. Um, on the other hand, I, I do think, and we'll get to that, but I do think it's games like that more than anything that Holland has been brought in for uh, to, to help tilt in, in City's favour. So, uh, so I thought, okay, let's go to Manchester. I went to Manchester, I sniffed the air, I had a toasty outside the ground. You know, it was good stuff. I, I watched the players arrive in the bus, I spoke to people, and it was interesting. I spoke to a gentleman, an esteemed gentleman of the written press, who was joking that I've sort of, oh, I've come to see the annual City make a, make a mess in Europe evening uh, and before you say ah oh, typical media bias the end man city spoke to a city fan who said exactly the same thing so, so there was a sense in the air that this could be like the the, the annual man city you know make a mess of things in, in europe um and I, i'd gotten the seat really high up in the stadium so i basically had the tactics cam which i which i kind of like you can see interesting things from up there uh, and i was kind of all ready for okay this could be an interesting one but then the game started 
and really any thoughts of, of this being a banana skin, they vanished pretty fast. City were so much better than Abbey Leipzig in this game. They did take a lead through one of these stupid handballs, which is, you know, the rules are what they are. I don't, I don't, it doesn't, I don't like it, but it is what it is. Uh, but, but City were so much better that it kind of felt tangential and not that important, really. I did enjoy, uh, from my sort of perch very high up with the gods, to, to have a sort of helicopter view of, of Man City tactically, because you, I'd seen it on TV before, of course, but this sort of the way they switch uh, between a back four out of possession and then seamlessly slide to a back three with two sort of pivots in front uh, in possession... Uh, I thought it was really interesting to watch real time as it was happening um, and, and very impressive. And you can just see the way it constantly gave them really good passing angles to, to move the ball out from the back. And, and, and Leipzig, you know, renowned for their pressing, couldn't, couldn't get, and couldn't get near him. And, and this is a very basic thing, but I hadn't seen City live in a hot minute. And it, it is just remarkable, just the overall technical level of this team. You can just kind of sit back and watch. And it's just for 90 minutes. There are so few heavy touches. There, you know, the, the, the quality is so high, man. It is absolutely crazy. Um, it, separate discussion maybe about how the biggest teams in the world are currently hoarding talents to an extent that's not great for the overall health of the game. Uh but they do put on a show when you watch them, and the the sort of the speed of passing, the technical quality is is it's ridiculous. And of course, there was Alling Holland. Uh, I was treated to a proper Alling Holland show. Uh, the combine harvester of doom. He gobbled up all the chances, you know, all the chances that came his way. Pretty much, uh, he he gobbled them up. Uh, Guardiola took him off, which made perfect sense to rest him. I mean, he's he had a history of of picking up little niggles at Dortmund and the City. Have to manage his physique very carefully, and the game was won. But you also thought. You know, the single game goal record in the Champions League was right there. You know, I think he was quite keen on scoring at least one more goal. But I, I did love seeing uh, when I got back uh, to the hotel after the game, uh, the, the interview he'd done with uh, with CBS, with sort of Thierry Henry and, and, and Michael Richards and the guys, just because... It was nice to see him be, like, relaxed and happy. Um, you know, there was a period when he was grumpy hauling in the media all the time, and, and teammates would just say, well, actually, you know, he's, he's really funny and, and a, a fun guy. And we were like, well, we, we'd like to see more of that. And, and that was, if you haven't seen it yet, uh, the chat he had with CBS was tremendous because it was great seeing him relaxed and sort of happy and, and being himself. And he seems like a really likable dude when he's in that, in that mode. And it was interesting to hear him talk uh, about the game because he was talking more about the chances he'd missed than all the goals he'd scored, but also specifically, he didn't just say, oh, I missed some chances. He started going through, okay, well, there was that situation. I could have done something different. It was that situation. I could have moved somewhere else. And, and this is very typical of him. I think Alling Holland is a much more analytical guy than you might think about stuff like this, uh, at least when it comes to his own game. Uh, you look at some of his goals and you just think, oh, he's just a tap-in merchant and uh, he just has an instinct for where to position himself in the box. But, that, but that's not a coincidence. His movements, is, uh, his movements are very, very deliberate. And, and maybe some of that is instinct, but I actually think he thinks a lot about how to position himself in relation to defenders where the ball is likely to end up when teammates have it in certain other positions. And then, of course, he has this remarkable ability to always be ready. You know, the ball dropping to you is no good if you're half asleep and you're on your back foot and you can't really react quick enough. 
he's always like front foot, always ready to move, always ready to adjust his body very quickly so he can make a finish. He's very, very alert. And he does stuff like follow-up shots all the time. You know, the second goal against Leipzig, you know, might on first viewing look like a bit of a scruffy goal. But if you watch it carefully, there's so much of what makes Erling Haaland great in it. You know, he chases down the goalkeeper. He was really on it with the, the pressing off the ball in this game. And he forced the goalkeeper to make an optimistic clearance, shall we put it that way, rather than play a proper pass, which then City, they win the ball and, uh, and, and they play it back up. And Haaland then is the player who wins it lays it off to De Bruyne who shoots. And, and this is the key, right? Because there are plenty of forwards who would just sort of stop and admire the shot from Kevin De Bruyne, but Holland follows it in, ball hits the crossbar, bounces right to him, and he heads it home. So this is all very basic striker stuff, but there is a thing to be said for just making sure you do get the basics right all the time, even if you're ridiculously talented and a, like a Superman. Um Obviously, the most eye-catching thing about Holland is his physical attributes, that he's big and that fast at the same time. It doesn't seem to make sense, but there he is. And, and then, of course, there's the technical quality of his finishing, which is very, very high. And, of course, the next big thing with him is probably just how smart he is with his movements. But all of this, I think, is just kind of heightened by the fact that he's so switched on and so good at just consistently doing the basics. Um which means he scores a lot of goals that are not spectacular, but you got to get those goals. You know, I think that's above any, everything is why his numbers are so ridiculous because he has those extraordinary attributes, but he is also making the absolute most of it. Um, anyway, it was a perfect night for him. It was a big night for City. He's had a few good games and a few good days this season, but there is still some criticism out there. Uh, I noticed uh, on the internet while I was ill. Uh, so uh, so let's look at some numbers because it's uh, it, it is interesting. Let's start with his numbers. His numbers are of course pretty unhinged. Erling Haaland, twenty eight goals in twenty five starts in the Premier League, ten goals and six in the Champions League, two goals, no, sorry, three goals and two in the FA Cup. I mean, this is all pretty crazy. Records are being broken. Uh, twenty eight league goals means that there's not one. Not two, but seven teams in the Premier League who have scored fewer goals than Erling Haaland this season, which is quite, quite ridiculous. Uh, and, and for some, that will be the end of the discussion. And maybe it should be the end of the discussion, but this is a team sport after all. So let's look at Manchester City's uh, numbers this year uh, with Haaland as approach, with Haaland as opposed to last season. Have you noticed I'm kind of uh, fudging the pronunciation of his last name? It's really annoying when you speak a different language. you got to also remember not to anglicize the pronunciation of the Norwegian names, because that makes no sense. His name is not Holland. His name is Erling Haaland. You should try to pronounce it that way. Anyway, with Erling Haaland versus without him... Uh, I think that's kind of interesting to look at. And I'm going to try to be quick because Lars Reed's numbers is not great audio content. Uh, but I I'm looking at uh, average points, average uh, goals per game, average goals against per game, all these sort of numbers. And, and, and Man City are down on pretty much all the ones you don't want to be down on and up on the ones you don't want to be up on, if you catch my drift. Uh, last season, they averaged 2.44 uh, points uh, per game. That's now down to 2.25. Uh, they averaged 2.6 goals per game. That's down to 2.48. They averaged 0 0.68 goals against per game. That's up to 0 0.92. 
they used they averaged last season 18.8 shots per game that's down to 16.4 they averaged 6.2 shots against per game that's up to 7.5 average possession is ever so slightly down from 68.2% to 64.6 uh, average pass accuracy is slightly down marginally down from 89.7% to 88.8 and and we see it in the xg as well they, their their average xg per game was 2.3 now it's 2.07 average uh, xg against was 0.64 that's down, uh, up to 0.79 so their xg goal difference per 90 used to be plus 168 it's down to plus 128 so as much as holland's personal output at City has been outlandish so far man city are demonstrably a little bit less good uh, than they were last season, at least in the aggregate so far in the Premier League. Now, if you're a crafty, unscrupulous tabloid writer, you might take those exact numbers and do an article called, like, Revealed the Numbers That Prove That Man City Are Worse with Aling Holland or something like that. Uh, I'm sure there are newspapers who would go for that sort of thing. Now, I would argue that that would be a little bit stupid because I think you, you're kind of ignoring the context completely. One of them being that Aling Holland isn't the only difference between Man City last season and Man City this season. You know, Man City also uh, sold Raheem Sterling, Gabriel Jesus and Alexander Shenchenko this summer. Uh, Sterling and Jesus in particular have been uh, big contributors to this team over the recent years. Zinchenko is a little bit more tangential, but he always did a good job when when called upon. Another big thing, of course, is that Juan Cancelo uh, hasn't been playing in the role he was very successful in last season. His role changed. He became a bit marginalized, and that uh, supposedly made him kick off a bit. He was unhappy, had to be sent away. So one of the biggest contributors last season is not there anymore. Now, I think it would be a mistake to say that Man City, if they just hadn't changed anything, they would have gotten exactly the same number of points and and goals and stuff this season as they did last season, because that's just not how football works. There is a need for a team to evolve, to develop. Uh, You have players there who have been there with Pep Guardiola for quite a while now. He's a really intense guy. You probably do want to freshen up the dressing room a little bit, uh, so it doesn't go stale. My my point is, Holland or no Holland, the team is different this season. And, okay, we see from the numbers that their average pass accuracy is slightly down, the possession is slightly down, and there is an element of City having marginally less control in certain games that I think is linked to to Holland. Uh, Pep and City's whole method is about strangling the opponent, you know, death by football. But they pass the ball not just to pass it. Uh, There's a bit in Marty Perrineau's book, Pep Confidential, it's called, um... I think it's actually a quote from Guardiola about, he talks about how you need a 15-pass move to develop the right shape. So they move the ball around, not just to move the ball, but to get players into the correct positions on the field. So when you attack, part of the reason why City's players are where they are on the field, it's not just about the attacking side of it. It's about when you lose the ball, people should be in the correct position to stop the counterattack. That, that that's a really big part of it because when you it's one of the biggest challenges for teams who 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 want to dominate games and send people forward is how do you avoid getting completely screwed on the counterattack and 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 part of that has to do with being very careful with your positioning and the argument against a, a sort of patient build up play is always that but you give the opponent time to get settled 
But here's the thing. It also gives you a chance to make sure people are in the right positions. And if you move the ball around well enough, then you'll be able to open up the opposing defense most of the time anyway. Whereas if you go more directly, yes, you can catch the opponent off guard. But the flip side for that is that you yourself are often caught off guard if that attacking move breaks down. You know, to execute a good counterattack, people need to get forward really quickly. It often leads to a situation where people across the pitch are not in the correct positions. And so if the counterattack is dangerous in itself, then the counter against the counter is even more dangerous. So, so simpletons like me might say, mate, you know, uh, well, that's, that's not really how I talk, but like with Erling Haaland, in the team you don't need 15 passes you need one pass and that's the ball over the top to Holland. just play that one Guardiola and it'll be fine and and, and I'm pretty sure that's what Erling Haaland would want ideally as well but there is a flip side to that which is more chaos essentially less control and and, and more chances for you to to get hurt down the other way I think one of the reasons why as as impressive as they are I feel like a lot of neutral fans find City difficult to enjoy sometimes, and that's not just because of the source of the funding and all of that. I think it's because when they've been at their best under Guardiola, sometimes it's been a bit sterile because it is all about making the game a non-contest. It's about just taking away the opponent's ability to hurt you at all by just never letting them have the ball. And that's not always amazing to watch, you know? But anyway, this is something Guardiola has addressed a little bit this season. Um, after the draw against Newcastle a few months back, you remember, that was a typical sort of chaotic game that Guardiola doesn't want to see. Um, he said, we should spend more time in the final third, give more passes in that moment, but it's difficult. Uh, if Erling Holland is going, Phil Foden has that aggression to get there. If it's Jack Grealish or Riyad Mahrez, they are more calm and help us come together. And if we lose the ball, we are there and they can't run, can't, can't counterattack. Uh, so there is that thing of if you take more time with the ball you can ensure everyone are in a good position so if you lose it there are fewer chances to counter whereas if you just go straight maybe people aren't always where they should be but all that being said with Erling Haaland you also get well you get Erling Haaland you get a striker who scores a ludicrous amount of goals if you give him the right service so my feeling would tend to be just just trust him, you know. Uh, uh, yeah, you might get some more counterattacks against you if you play a few more risky balls. You'll have a little bit less possession, but but you can but trust your defenders, trust your goalkeepers to fix most of those situations for you, even if the defensive structure is not always perfect. Because the upside is that Holland will score so many goals, and you'll get so much out of those chances that it might be worth. Uh, the, the the chance of conceding slightly more chances against, you know, you, you, you can be a bit brave, I think. But certainly there has been a period of adjustment with City this season. Their greatest weapon is a player who wants something slightly different to what the team has been doing. Uh, and that has brought the team four titles in five years, by the way. I mean, that's the that's the flip side to this. I'm saying, oh, you should change. I was like, well, it's been going quite well the way we've been doing it. But it's, it's only natural then, I think, that there is a period of adjustment for both sides. And with some adjustments being made, City have dropped a few more points than usual. They have 61 points in 27 games so far this season. So they're averaging, as we said, 2.59 points per game. That means they're on track for 85.8 points. So let's call it 86 six points over 38 games this season 
86 points, sometimes enough to win you the league, sometimes not. 86 is what City got in 2020-2021 when they won the league. It's the total they ended up with in 2013-2014 when they won the league. I mean, Leicester won the league with 81 points in in, uh, 2016. So 86 is not a terrible uh, place to end up with. But with Arsenal putting up the season they are, it's probably not going to be enough. Uh, Arsenal on track for over 90 as things stand. Of course, this could all change, um, even if it doesn't look like it right now. You, you figure the game between the two of them will be pretty pretty important. I, I, I tend to favour Arsenal to win the league right now, just because City are still in the Champions League, really. And this is where I wonder if Aling Haaland will, uh, will really earn his salt here, uh, the, the significant amount of salt he is earning. Uh, because... When you look at the way in which Man City have lost in the Champions League under Guardiola, you know, last season it was Real Madrid, yes, but they had some huge chances in the second leg of that game where you just think if they had a proper goal scorer up front, you know, that that would have been fine. Um, okay, the final against Chelsea, they didn't play very well, and Chelsea were pretty brilliant, That that that's true. But before that, in 2020, you know, that weird quarterfinal loss to Lyon, like they had huge chances, uh, that were just missed in that game. Same with both ties against Spurs in 2019. In the return leg, City had 20 shots to Tottenham's 11, and the game ends up being 4-3, you know? Uh, we often focus on Guardiola making strange tactical choices in this game, and that, that's that been a thing, you know? Benching both Rodri and Fernandinho, playing no holding midfielder at all against Chelsea in the final. One of the all-time sort of weird tactical uh, decisions in that tournament. But you know what? Usually in those games, when City have been stopped, they've also missed a lot of chances. And you wonder with Erling Haaland, even if trying to facilitate him changes a little bit how you play, maybe if there's a little bit of give and take between him and between Guardiola, I just think he gives them that presence in the box that they just haven't had before. And I think he might be the difference in those sorts of games. Uh, I, I suppose we'll see against Bayern just after Easter. It's, it's coming It's coming pretty soon. But yeah, Erling Haaland, uh, the combine harvester of Doom, which I, th- I like to come. He is like... If, if the goal area is like a field, he is like a giant light blue combine harvester who just vom, 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 just goes and chomps up everything. Everything becomes a goal. Uh, he is breaking records. Man City as a team have been marginally less dominant this season. That is true. They're on track to take six, seven fewer points than they did last season. Maybe they win every game between now and the end of the season and that doesn't happen, but it does seem to be a thing. Some of that could be because City and Haaland are adjusting to each other, could also be related to other changes to the team. Some of it could just be natural variance, you know? Uh, Stuff happens. Football happens, as the saying goes. But I think the big question is, will Holland give them that little bit of extra cutting edge in those crucial, crucial moments in the Champions League? I think that's an area where he could really make a difference, and I kind of think that's part of the reason he's been brought there, that you have to do something slightly different to get over the line in the Champions League. Uh, So that's going to be incredibly exciting when those games come around. Time will tell. A betting part at the end here now. Because we've been talking about it, I've been looking at the prices for who's going to win the Champions League, and... I kind of like the price for Man City to win the Champions League. They are favourites. Uh, bets on offering a price of 3.5. So three and a half times your stake uh, if uh, Man City win the Champions League. Um, second favourites behind them are Napoli, who have just been incredible this season. Uh, suspect that that's the final we all want. Napoli versus Man City. Napoli are priced at 4.5. Bayern are priced at 4.75. 
very strange. I mean, they are they are it's strange in the sense that they are very very good, but of course they have to play Man City, Real Madrid at seven point five. So the, you know, betting market's not massively keen on Real Madrid. Inter at fourteen point five, Chelsea at sixteen, Benfica at sixteen point five, and Milan at twenty five. I think Benfica are almost like an interesting value bet at that price, just as an outsider. They play great football. They won their group ahead of Juventus and PSG. I fancy them to knock out Inter, I have to say, when, and then they then face Milan or, or more likely Napoli. Benfica and Napoli in the semifinal would be a great game. Uh, and, and if they could get to the final, of course, then anything can happen. I think 16.5 is a pretty big price there, uh, given that I'm kind of expecting them to, to get past to get past Inter. But, but Man City are rightly favourites, and I think they can do it. Uh, Bayern obviously have amazing quality, but they are vulnerable. They've sacked Julian Nagelsmann now, uh, in, in spite of having won every game in the Champions League and only being slightly behind Dortmund in the league. They've brought in Thomas Tuchel, how much he can realistically change in two weeks about just about two weeks isn't it i don't I mean he'll probably make them a little bit more defensively minded than they were under nagelsman where they were very very front foot heavy all season that uh, holland holland versus uh, upamecano and the licht should be really really interesting but I think there's limits to what Thomas Tuchel can do in such a short space of time. And I think these are the game where Haaland can and should make a difference. As good as Bayern Munich are, you do feel they can be got at. And uh, obviously, if they get through, they face Chelsea or Real Madrid. Not exactly easy, but you'd certainly back them against Chelsea. Real Madrid, not as good this year as they were last year. And then most likely Napoli or Benfica, should they make the final. They'll be tested for sure. Napoli in particular are so good. So, so for sure, they no, they don't have an easy route there, uh, but they're very, very focused on this tournament now, which is one of the reasons I think Arsenal will win the league. Even if they're favourites, I think 350 is an interesting price here. You know, 350 means an implied probability of 28%. I think they have a slightly better chance than one-third to win the Champions League this season from here on in Man City. So it's, I think that could be worth a punt um, if you're into that kind of slightly more long-term bets. Uh, the betting column for the weekend will be up uh, before the weekend, I believe. Weekend looks a bit tricky. I have to say, having just looked at the program, I'm going to have to dive into the numbers, see if I can find some trends I like, um, try maybe get a little bit creative. We'll see what we can find. Uh, it's a challenging weekend, but we, we shall find something, I'm sure. And uh, check that out when it's available. Anyway, this has been another episode of the Lars Resort, brought to you by Betson. Uh, we've gone long again. Norwegian listeners from the OG pod will know this. It's a fairly common occurrence. You know, I, I gotta work on being brief. You know, one day, one day I'll get better at just keeping it to a tight 20 minutes or something. One day, but that is not this day. Uh, let's be fair, it's probably not going to be the next day either. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'll look at more shorter episodes is the way to go. I've been saying that for years, as Norwegians will know. I, I, maybe I, I believe I can change. Anyway, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, I'll catch you again soon, hopefully.